if you will, to the book of John, to probably one of the most familiar and famous passages of Scripture anywhere in the world, and uh, especially in the United States of America. So until yesterday morning, this was not the direction that I was going to head, but the Lord knows exactly what he's doing, and God has a perfect plan and a perfect purpose. I do know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Ever since revival, uh, a number of our folk have been so concerned about their loved ones, and they're concerned about leading people to Christ. And one of our dear ladies uh, um, and her husband just flew all the way to the state of Oregon just because they wanted to witness to their loved one. That all happened after revival. I'm going to tell you something, uh, church. That's what's called revival. Uh, you know, revival's not just a meeting. Revival's a change of life, and that's a change of life. And uh, and so, um, so I, I, I know that the Lord's got a perfect plan. And so, uh, again, a lot of you are really concerned about this thing of evangelism and leading folks to Christ and getting your loved ones saved. And one of our men, you know, gave the uh, prayer request in the prayer room this morning, helped me to be a better witness to my neighbors. Man, that's mine too. I, uh, it seems like God is here lately. God has really laid my neighbors on my heart. And uh, I had the opportunity to win one of my neighbors to the Lord not too, too long ago. But I've got a lot more neighbors than that one that need to be saved. And, uh, and so let, let's talk about evangelism a little bit today. And uh, so John chapter 3 in your Bibles, when you find your places, if you're able to stand, let's stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We'll read a few more than we would normally read on Sunday morning, but we'll read these quickly. And uh, I want you to get the full context of what's going on here. And then we'll just give you this Bible study, which is really what this is this morning. John 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, now, when you see that word verily in your Bible, your King James Bible, it's just the idea of truly. Uh, there's an emphasis here. There were times in the Scripture when the Lord Jesus only uses that word once, and then there are other times when Jesus uses that word twice. Uh, again, he's emphasizing a truth here. Verily, verily, he said, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, well, here, here it is again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Well, we could just call a time out and preach right there for a little while. People say that, you know, salvation by grace and born again and all that stuff, that's Baptist doctrine. Friend, that's not Baptist doctrine, that's Bible doctrine. And, you, and if you have a red letter edition Bible this morning, you'll notice those words are in red. This is Christ. That's speaking this. Marvel not, Jesus said, that I, that I said unto thee, ye must be. This is not a request. This is not a suggestion. 
Ye must be born again. And then he goes on to say this, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or, uh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verse 11, here's these words again. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I've told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall we believe or how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you may be seated this morning. And I want to talk to you, teach to you, preach to you, whatever the Lord leads us to do today about this subject, a lesson on evangelism. Not a flashy title, but a great subject this morning. Uh, lessons on evangelism. And so let's pray and ask God to help us. And we'll jump right into this this morning. Father, thank you for this time that we have had together this morning. Thank you for the wonderful, wonderful music, Lord. I just want to say thank you. I don't want to take that for granted. Lord, you could take all that away. Lord, you could take all those musicians away, all those singers. You could remove them. I pray that you never do. But Father, I just want to say personally thank you for the music. Thank you for that full choir this morning. And Lord, how they sang with all their might. And God, as they sang, Lord, it helped us in worship. And now, Lord, I feel an anointing at this time. And I know that you are a, a perfect God, and I know that you have a perfect plan. And you know, Lord, that originally this was not the direction that we were going to go this morning in this service. But I'm so glad, Heavenly Father, that you know what need, we need. And so, Lord, bless our discussion this morning. And, Lord, I pray that as a result of this message that, first of all, Christ will receive glory and praise and that there will be more people in heaven to give him praise. And then also I pray that because of this message that many will be saved and that we will become soul winners. God, our path now, please, Father, we pray again that the Lord Jesus would be high and lifted up. We love you and praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen and amen. If there's an evangelism chapter in the Bible, John chapter 3 would have to be that place. Evangelism. It's the sharing of the gospel. What's really interesting about John chapter 3 is we not only see the gospel being shared in all of its splendor, and it is splendorous, but we see Christ as the sharer. <laughs> He is the evangelist, if I could use that word. We know the book of Hebrews says, the, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. He's better than Moses, better than the law, better than angels. Well, he's the, he's the better of the evangelists. He's the best evangelist that's ever lived. 
And I love John chapter 3, and I know you do as well. But I think this is what's so significant about John chapter 3. We find here the plan of salvation. I've got that word P capitalized in my outline. We have the plan of salvation as he expands the plan of salvation. You see, he is the plan of salvation. The Bible says in the book of Acts, there is no other way. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the way, definite article. I'm the way, not one of the ways, not some of the ways. I am the way to life. And so we find here the plan of salvation expounds the plan of salvation. And it does it perfectly, I might add. I love this chapter because the word of God, John 1 says he is the word of God. And so we find here the living word of God preaches the word of God to a lost sinner. And if you study your Bibles out, you'll find out that that lost sinner doesn't stay a lost sinner. That lost sinner eventually becomes a child of God, we believe. Because we find in John chapter 19, when it's time for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to be taken out off the cross, not only is Joseph of Arimathea there, but there's another man there, and his name is Nicodemus. And somebody says, well, pastor, it might not have been the same Nicodemus. Well, the Bible says it was that Nicodemus that came to him by night. And so we know it's the same one. And so we believe that Nicodemus, without a shadow of a doubt, came to the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Now, I want to give you some lessons we learn on evangelism from John chapter number 3. How about this? First of all, John chapter 3 teaches us about the lost world. The lost world. Specifically, I wrote this down, the lost world is ignorant of biblical terminology. Now, look in your Bibles at John chapter 3 and verse number 3. John 3 verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How? How? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so here was a man who was considered a religious expert in Israel. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, that tells us several things. Number one, he's an expert with the law. Uh, number two, more than likely at least, by the, by the time that Nicodemus is 12 years of age, he has the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. The first five books, not the the first five verses, the first five books, completely to memorization. And so here's a man that is supposed to be a religious leader in, uh, in, in Israel, and yet we find here that he's totally ignorant when it came to spiritual terminology. Well, concerning this lost world, there's a lot of people who want you to believe that they know the Bible. Now, church, I'm going to be honest with you. When it comes down to brass tacks, most people believe what they believe because it's what they believe, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. A lot of people believe what they believe because it's their opinion. And I, I'm just, listen, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm not really concerned about your opinion, but I'll go a step further. Neither should you be concerned about mine. 
because it's not my opinion that's going to get you into heaven and it's not your opinion that's going to get you in heaven. Well, you say, Pastor, in my opinion, this is what I believe. Listen, we ought not be concerned about what we believe or what, what, uh, what we think or what we think science has said or what some kind of a college professor has thought. What we better get concerned about is what the Word of God has to say. And a lot, there's a lot of people who want you to believe that they know this book right here when the truth of the matter is they know very little of the Bible. That's, and by the way, church, that's why it's so important. Uh, somebody says, Pastor, I don't need all this church. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Man, I was so thankful that I was in my place during Sunday school today as Brother Terry expounded on this thing of temptation. And as he taught, boy, my spirit was, was jumping up and down and I was thinking, yes, this is helping my people. But I'm gonna tell you something else. It was helping me. I need the word of God. You need the word of God. We need to know what we believe and we need to be able to base it upon God's word. A lot of people want you to think, well, they know the Bible. They really don't. I'll never forget when uh, uh, Dr. Jack House was talking about it. He was flying somewhere on an airplane to a meeting, and, and, uh, and they got up, you know, got up uh, and leveled off. And Brother House said, I pulled my Bible out, and I started reading my Bible. And he said, this man beside me said, oh, reading your Bible, I see. And he said, yes, sir. He said, you know a lot about that book? And he said, well, I, I work at it. He said, do you know your Bible? Oh, yes. He said, I know the Bible. Brother House said, I could tell he didn't know what he was talking about. Yes, he said, I know the Bible. read it many, many times. I've read the Bible many, many times. And, and Brother House said, really? He said, yes, I've read it through many, many times. And Brother House said, I bet, I bet, I bet you've never read the book of Jerusalem. And he said, oh, yes, I've read the book of Jerusalem many, many times. Now, if you're not laughing right now, just to let you know, there is no book of Jerusalem in the Bible. And there's a lot of people, and you know what I'm talking about, a lot of people that you run into who want you to believe they know the Bible when the fact of the matter is they don't really know. They, they don't know biblical terminology. But I want to say this as well. There are others who make no claim to understand Scripture, and they let it, they let it be known. They're just honest. And by the way, I appreciate honest folks. I vividly remember we had a lady that came by one day, was talking to my wife and I, and she learned that I was the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church. And by the way, she said this very sweetly. She didn't say it in a, in a derogatory way. She said it very, very sweetly, and she had, a, she had a saved, sweet spirit about her. And she said, Pastor, she said, can I, just, can I just say this to you? She said, please don't take for granted that people in your church know what you're talking about. She said, Pastor, please don't assume that they know what you're talking about. And she said, I was saved out of a Catholic background. And she said, we, I guess maybe they were just sort of Catholic in name only and never really went to mass and never really went to the church. And, uh, and, and she said, preacher, she said, this is the truth. She said, when I reached adulthood, she said, I was biblically illiterate. She said, I, I, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about the Bible. And she said, someone invited me to the Baptist church. And she said, I went to the Baptist church. And she said, one of the first Sundays I was there, the preacher got up and said this. He said, Jesus Christ went to Calvary. And she said, I had visited Calvary that day, Calvary Baptist Church. And the preacher said, Jesus went to Calvary. And she said, I sat back in the audience and I thought, man, that's neat. Jesus went to a church that has the same name as I went to today. 
She said, Pastor, I didn't know what Calvary was. I, I didn't know all of that. And so we understand this morning that there are people who uh, do not understand biblical terminology. They don't understand saved. They don't understand redeemed. They don't understand words like salvation or, or justification. And so John chapter 3 teaches us that, that there is a lost world that's ignorant of biblical terminology. But I'll tell you something else. The lost world is ignorant of biblical soteriology. Now, that's just a fancy word for the study of salvation. The study of salvation. Now, Pastor, why are you even bringing that out? Because we are so mixed up today concerning this thing of salvation, we don't know which way is up. Now, church, I'm gonna tell you something. We can disagree on a lot of things. We can disagree on the Antichrist. We can disagree on, uh, you know, on certain things about Old Testament. We can disagree on what you think Moses looked like, what I think Moses looked like. But I'm telling you, there's one thing we cannot get wrong, and that's this thing of salvation. And so many are mixed up on the doctrine of soteriology. You know what they think? They think it's by works. They think it's by being a good person. They think it's by getting baptized. They think it's by signing a card. They think it's by church membership. They think it's by, you know, keeping the catechism or uh, the sacraments or whatever the case may be. And I'm telling us, we, it's like, brother, in this world, uh, you know, there's, there, there's some, you know, 59 flavors, 59 ways to get to heaven. Church, listen to me. I implore you this morning. There is not 59 ways to heaven. There is one. Yes, sir. And his name is Jesus Christ. You say, pastor, I don't believe that for a half of a second. You will. You will. We will all be believers eventually. And so John chapter 3 Teaches us about the lost world. But let me get into some really good stuff here. Number two, I want you to notice this. John chapter three teaches us about the Lord's approach. Now, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, several things here. Number one, I wrote this down. The Lord's approach is to explain what genuine salvation is. So look at John three again. Look at verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith to him, how? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so here's this religious leader who doesn't understand the truth that Jesus is trying to give to him. And I love this. You know what we find in John chapter three? We find the Lord Jesus Christ explaining. <laughs> here's a man that doesn't understand. And so Jesus says, let me take the time to explain it to you. I want you to understand. You should understand, but I want you to understand. So look at John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water into the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born in the flesh, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, let me explain it to you. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now someone says, Pastor, what's that talking about? Most scholars believe that verse number five is a spiritual context. 
That water that the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about there, uh, it speaks of spiritual cleansing through the word of God. Spiritual cleansing. The spirit speaks of a transformation by the Holy Ghost. Ezekiel 36 and verse 25 says it like this. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you and a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart uh, out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Listen to this, by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's that idea of the washing of the word of God and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says it like this. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. John chapter 15 and verse number three, Jesus said this now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. I'm just telling you this, that our salvation does not come from signing a card. Our salvation does not come from getting sprinkled. Our salvation does not come from christening. Our salvation does not come from being a good person. Our salvation does not come from voting for the right politician. I'm telling you, our salvation comes through this book right here and through the transformating power of the Holy Ghost of God. And so the Lord Jesus explains what genuine salvation is, but I'll tell you something else, the Lord's approach. The Lord's approach is to use simple terms and easy illustrations. Look at John 3, verse eight. So here the Lord Jesus is trying to explain this thing of salvation in Nicodemus. Verse eight, he says to Nicodemus, the wind the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is, that is born of the Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, the Spirit of God's like wind. This is how the Spirit of God works. Nicodemus, you're not gonna always be aware of when he's going to work. You can't see him. He works when he wants to work. He works where he wants to work. He's like the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Again, here's my point. Jesus is trying to, Jesus is trying to break this down so this educated man, boy, sometimes we're so educated we're dumb. We got a lot of dumb people in America. They have college degrees after their name. And so Jesus says, let me break this down. Hey, Dick and Emmis, how about the wind? You, you, you understand the wind. You saw the wind blow, blow through the trees. You saw the damage the wind can do. You saw how wind can propel a sail on a sailboat. Now, again, Jesus is using an illustration. And in Nicodemus' mind, Nicodemus is saying, okay, yeah, okay. I get that. Not only that, look at this right here, church. Look at uh, verse number 14. Verse 14 and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, Jesus knew that Nicodemus was going to identify with this illustration because Nicodemus was a man of the law. He knew the law. 
He had no doubt heard that story many times when Moses lifted up that brass serpent on the pole. And, and Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, just like Moses lifted up that brass serpent and that anybody that looked to that brass serpent, it brought healing just like that. I'm going to be lifted up above heaven and earth on a cross and I'm going to bring healing to a lost world. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, again, is uh, uh, using illustrations and keeping it very, very simple. Now listen, church, this is what I'm saying. When you're witnessing to your loved ones and you're witnessing to your coworkers and your neighbors, uh, you may not want to use words right off like justification. Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? They don't know what that means. They don't, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to get it down on their level. You're going to have to put the jelly on the bottom shelf. Is that right? Not everybody's come up in church like you have. Not, not everybody's attended Sunday school. And we're reaching a generation now that's never been in church. Never been in church. You know, I almost feel dishonest in saying that, but it's truth. We're reaching some young people now. Never been in church for a wedding or a funeral. More or less a service. So when you come and say, what do you think about Justification. Man, they don't know what justification is. Man, I watched a thing this week on the news where they were just out on the street with a microphone asking people, what's eight times six? And most people didn't know how to answer the question. Did you know the average person on the street, if you were to ask them who the vice president of the United States of America is, they, wouldn't, they don't know how to answer. And so you understand that when you talk to people about salvation, you're going to have to keep it really Simple. And so I like to use, when I'm talking to folks about salvation, I just like to use simple illustrations. We'll do that for Bible school. And I'll say something like this. Hey, kids, let me tell you sort of, let me tell you what Jesus did for you. Be like me, going out here today and getting in my truck and, and I pull out it onto Indian Hill Road. Indian Hill Road, the speed limit here is 45 miles an hour. And man, I just totally disregard the speed limit signs. And man, I, I burn rubber out of the parking lot. And man, by the time I get a half a mile through it, I'm going 85 mile an hour. I got, I mean, man, I've got it in the wind. Pedal to the metal, hammer down. I'm heading home. And right about the time I get to the stop sign, I pass North Carolina State Trooper. He clocks me going 85 and a 45. He's got his radar in, in the dash, and as soon as he goes by me, I see those blue lights. Whoop. He does a bootleg. I mean, he turns around. Man, he flies in behind me. He comes up to my window. He's shaking. He's so mad. He says, man, let me see your license registration. I say, well, sir, I'm just going to let you know I'm, I'm the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church. And he says, well, you ought to know better then. He said, do you know how fast you were going? And I say, yeah, I was going 85. He said, that's right. You know what the speed limit is? 45 mile an hour here. Man, he, you know, he takes me out of the car. He says, I'm gonna write you a $500 ticket. And he said, you're paying this ticket or you're going to jail. Man, I reach in my wallet. Man, I've got five measly bucks in my wallet, which is probably true, by the way. And I, and, uh, and I say, officer, I don't, I don't have $500. He said, sir, you're going to pay this ticket right now or I'm taking you to jail. 
And I said, officer, I don't have $500. He said, sir, would you step out of the car? I step out of the car. He says, would you put your hands behind your back? Man, I put my hands back behind my back. He puts handcuffs on me. He's taking me back to his cruiser, getting ready to put me in the back seat of the car. And all of a sudden, Brother Brandon comes by. Actually, it would be Brother Brandon would be getting in the back of the car. But anyway, just for the sake of the illustration. <laughs> That's another sermon, okay? Brother Brandon comes by and he's, he's Miss Mandy says, what, what, what's going, honey, what's going on? What, and, and Brandon sees this officer taking his preacher back and he's putting him in the back seat of the car. And so Brandon stops and rolls down his window and he says, officer, officer, listen, can I just ask you a question? He says, what, what's going on? He said, this man was speeding. He was going 85 miles an hour in a 45-mile-per-hour zone. And I wrote him a check for $500, and he didn't have the money to pay it, and he's going to jail. He's going to jail. And Brandon says, wait a minute. Wait. That's my preacher. I, I, I'm not trying to tell you he didn't do wrong. He did, that was wrong. Oscar, that was wrong. But I love my preacher, and he loves me. And I tell you what I'm going to do. He doesn't have the money to pay it, but I'm going to, I've got it. And Brandon pulls out his wallet and he, he pulls out five $100 bills and he says, listen, I'm sorry for what he'd done, but he, here's, here's the payment. And he makes the payment for me. And that, that uh, highway patrolman takes the handcuffs off of my, my wrist and the chains go free. And, and I, I'm able to get in my truck and go on my way. And you say, Pastor, why are you telling that story? Because, hey, friends, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. We had a payment that we had to pay. And it was the payment for sin. And I want to tell you what, it was a payment that I could not pay. And by the way, I have to tell you this, you can't pay it either. You say, Pastor, if I'm a good enough person, if I say enough Hail Marys, if I, you know, if I give an offering in the, you know, to the church, if I'm baptized enough times, I'm telling you, you don't have enough in your account to pay the ticket. But I got some great news. Thank God God loved you so much that he sent his only son. And Jesus came and he died on an old rugged cross and he bled and he suffered. And hallelujah, he paid your ticket. And if you'll receive him as your Savior, the Bible says that you can be born again and you can go free. And so we find here that the Lord Jesus Christ, his approach, we find that the Lord's approach is to explain what genuine salvation is. We find the Lord's approach is to use simple terms and easy illustrations. Let me give you one more thing real, real quickly about this point. Number three, the Lord's approach is to begin with constraining love but to include condemnation. It's right there in your Bibles. Would you look with me, John 3? When Jesus begins sharing the gospel with Nicodemus, he begins with love. John 3, 16, he says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. Look at these next three words, that he gave. His only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, Nicodemus, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so Jesus starts with love. And he says, Nicodemus, let me tell you why you need to be born again. Because there is a God who loved you so much that he gave his son for you. 
And by the way, that's a good place to start. But notice what happens here. Look at verse 18. And Jesus sort of switches gears here, and he says in verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And I know what people say. They say, man, don't go down to Calvary Baptist Church. They preach hellfire and damnation. You got it, brother. Amen. We do. Now that 40, 45 weeks out of the year you come here, we're gonna preach the love of God and we're gonna talk, tell you how, how much God loves you. But don't be surprised if you walk in here on a Sunday and we preach hell hot and heaven sweet. Amen. Yeah. And you know why we do that? Because Jesus did it that way. Jesus started with love. He said, Nicodemus, God loves you. He loves you so much he gave his only son for you. That's why I'm here, he said. Get saved because you understand, as Brother Terry taught this morning, the love of Christ constraineth me. But he said, there's something you need to understand. There is a heaven to gain, but there is a hell to shun. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm lost. I'm a good, good neighbor. I want to tell you something. There is a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shun. And it would be a horrible thing to, to enter a service like this and to die without Jesus and go to hell. And so several things we notice here. Number, number one, John's gospel teaches us about the lost world. Number two, John's gospel teaches us the Lord's approach. I'm done. Hear me out. Number three, quickly, and we're done. Number three, John's gospel, John chapter three, teaches us about the lesson of discipleship. And so here the Lord is, and he's, he is proclaiming the gospel. Well, look what happens in John chapter three in verse number 22. Verse 22, the Bible says, after these things, what things? After the preaching of the gospel, after the proclaiming of God's word, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he, Jesus, and there he tarried with them and baptized. You know what I learned from that right there? Jesus is tarrying with many new converts, and they're baptizing, which, by the way, speaks of discipleship. You know what I believe? I, I don't believe that Jesus, and, and you say, preacher, was it Jesus baptizing or his apostles? I believe it was mainly his, his apostles were baptizing and Jesus was orchestrating it. But I can guarantee you one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ was explaining to these no, new converts why you need to be baptized. And so we see discipleship going on after these folks have been saved. The Lord Jesus Christ is helping take these folks to the next level of growth in their Christian life. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because Calvary, it's imperative that we do the same thing. As we see new people saved at Calvary Baptist Church, we've got to help them go to the next level of growth in their Christian life. We can't just get them saved and then lose them. Man, we've got to get them involved. We've got to get them involved in discipleship. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you what that means. It means inviting them, these new converts, these have recently been saved. It means inviting them over to your house for meals and fellowship. If you know somebody in the church that's recently been saved, you ought to go to them and say, hey, my wife and I would like you to come over. We're gonna have hamburgers and hot dogs. 
You don't have to have filet mignon. Just say, hey, we'd like y'all to come over one night. We're going to have baked spaghetti. We're having lasagna. If you want to put on the dog, do it, man. I mean, do port, you know, what is it, porterhouse? Is that what it's called, you know? 20 ounce. I mean, that's fine with me. But I'm just telling you this. You know what we've got to do? We've got to, we've got to tarry with them. Did you know that lost did you know that, that newly saved people need to see how saved people live? You say, preacher, why is it important that we tarry with them? Why is it important that we get them over to our house? Let me tell you why. Because they need to see how you treat your spouse. And I hope you treat your spouse in a Christ-like way. You see, all they've ever seen was fussing and fighting and screaming and yelling and throwing pots and pans, putting holes in the drywall. That's all they've ever seen. That's what, they, that, that's, why they, that's what they think marriage is. Let me tell you something, good friend. That's not what marriage is. And that's never what marriage was designed to be. Marriage is holding your wife's hand. Marriage is opening the car door for your wife. Marriage is sitting at the table and saying, honey, do you need anything else? Can I get you a drink? You say, I'll tell you what, I'd never do that for my wife. Well, there's an altar here this morning. <laughs> you, you, we need to have these new converts into our home so they can see, wow. They're holding hands. Now, they won't say that while they're there, but when they leave, like, do you see that? Do you see how close they sat? They've been married for over 30 years. Do you see how close? I mean, you couldn't get like a piece of paper between them. They need to see, they need to see how you rear your children, that your kids have some etiquette and manners. Mom, please pass the potatoes. You say, preacher, my kids don't talk like that. Well, you can start today. My kids won't say, please. Well, guess what happens? They don't get any potatoes. You say, preacher, I tried for an hour and they wouldn't say, please. Well, then they don't get any potatoes for an hour. It's pretty simple, church. This is not, this is not rocket science. Now I'm talking about good Christian people. Listen, they need to see they need to see how you rear your children. They need to see how you keep your house. They need to see how you pray before a meal. Did you see that? They prayed before they just dug in. You say, Pastor, that's so simple. You're getting it. You're getting it. But it's what the world needs to see. Somebody said, you and I may be the only Bible some will ever read. And we will definitely sometimes be the only sermon some will ever hear preached. Terry with them. How about this? Terry with them at church. Terry with them at church. If you know some folks that have recently been saved, ask them to sit with you. Ask them to sit with you. Hey, man, it's good to see you today. Hey, why don't you sit with us today? Come sit with us. And invite them to come and, and be with you. Listen, brand, brand new folks have just gotten saved and the church is new to them. This is awkward. 
They're not used to it. They're not used to preaching. They're not used to the crowd. They're not used to, to, to what we're getting here at Calvary. That's where you come in. And so before the service, you find them and shake their hand and pat them on the back and say, man, I'm so proud of you. It's so good to see you. Hey, listen, we got some chairs up here toward the uh, middle section. Come on, y'all, just, y'all come on up here and sit with us. Really, is that okay? Yeah. Man, just come on up here and, and sit with us today and take them under your wing. Hey, we're done. I want you to take your Bibles real quickly as we finish and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. Did you know often, especially in the New Testament, we hear about a man by the name of Paul. Paul, the great apostle Paul. You know, the missionary of all missionaries, the preacher of all preachers, church planner of all church planners. And we hear about this great man, the great man Paul, a chosen vessel that God used in a powerful way. That's true. But church, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know, I don't know that we ever would have had a powerful Paul without an unknown Barnabas. Would you look at Acts chapter 9, verse number 26? The Bible says that when Saul, that's the Paul I'm talking about, when Saul was coming, was coming to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Look at this. But they were all what? They were all afraid of him. He had a reputation. He had a testimony, and it was a bad testimony, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. I'm gonna be honest with you, church. If only we had verse 26, Paul's ministry would be over. But thank God there's a verse 27. The Bible says in verse number 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. And that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. We're done. You can close your Bibles. That's the last place we're turning to. But hear me out. Hear me out. We're getting ready for Bible school to come. And I usually tell this story right around Bible school time. You know what? I often wonder. I often wonder if John Dellinger's life would have turned out differently had someone discipled him. John Dellinger, who, who's Don Del, John Dellinger? The, the, the man who went down in history is probably the most famous, prominent bank robber of all times. John Dellinger died right there as he was shot to death in Chicago, Illinois. But back to the clock way up, when John Dellinger was about 12 years of old, he lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he came from a very dysfunctional, broken home And there was a little Baptist church just down the way from John Dellinger's home. And John Dellinger, a 12-year-old boy, said, you know what, I'm going to go to that church. And John Dellinger walked into that church and did not know how to do church. He didn't know. He didn't understand redeemed and justified and glorified. And he didn't understand all those things. He had never been brought up in church. But he wanted to go. And he sat down in a seat all by himself. And didn't know how to behave. And some uncaring man from the church came up and sort of handled John Dellinger and said, hey boy, you won't be coming back to this church acting like that. And he didn't. And John Dellinger went down in history 
as one of the most famous bank robbers and gangsters that's ever lived. You know what I wonder, Brother Mike? I wonder if things would have been drastically different had John Dellinger walked into that church as a 12-year-old boy and one of the men would have just came up and sat down beside him and said, Hey, buddy, how you doing? What's your name? John. Hey, John. Put it there, man. John. Man, I'm glad you came. I'm so glad you came. Hey, buddy, can I just tell you that God loves you? You know what I believe? I believe John Dellinger could have become a preacher or an evangelist. I'm talking about tearing with them. Now, that's what we're learning from John 3. My mom and dad, who may be watching right now, are some of the best Christian people I know. If they weren't my mom and dad, I'd have to say that. Mom and dad have been consistent in their Christian life. I said this Wednesday night, I never heard my mom and dad curse, not one time. Now, if it happened, it could have happened, but they never let me hear it. I never heard my mama take God's name in vain, not one time. I sat this week on the swing with my little mama, 88 years old. 88 years old, and this is what she said. And she shook her head, and she said, I, I need to do better in my prayer life. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, give me some of that. But did you know that probably Bill and Betty Pope would not be where they are were it not for Willie and June Buckner? Now, there's probably a few old-timers here today that recognize that name. For many, many years, there was a pharmacist on the South Side called South Side Drug. And Willie Buckner owned that pharmacy and ran that pharmacy. And Willie Buckner was one of the, most, one of the best Christian men. And his wife, June, who's still living and still faithful to church all these many, many years later, Willie and June took my mom and dad under their wing when mom and dad just got saved, Willie and June came into their life and took Bill and Betty under their wing and began to disciple them. You know what I thought about this week, Calvary? I owe Willie and June Buckner a debt of gratitude. And this church owes Willie and June Buckner a debt of gratitude. You know what we've got to do, church? Quit being so all fired, passionate about your assigned seat. You're in my seat. Nobody has a seat at Calvary Baptist Church. And if you walk in and you see a visitor that's in a seat, not your seat, in a seat, why don't you sit down in the seat beside them and say, man, I am so glad you came today. Can I tell you God loves you? Can I tell you this church loves you? Can I tell you about a Savior? Did you know this church, did you know people don't care how much you know until first they know how much you care? 
John chapter 3. Well, there's a lot of good lessons in there, isn't there? Father, we love you. Thank you for this time we've had together this morning. Lord, I believe you've ministered. If you have not touched anybody else's heart, you have touched mine. And so I want to say personally thank you. You've used this time of the service to challenge me personally. God, I want to be better. I want to be a better discipler. I've got to be a better discipler. Father, I pray that you'd help me to tarry with those. And sometimes it's getting a little harder to do when the church is growing like it is. But Father, help me to to give as much as myself as I can to those that are coming into this body. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to have some folks that would come alongside the pastor and say, I know the preacher can't do it all. He cannot disciple all of these folks. We're going to have to come alongside and we're going to have to tarry with these new believers. We're going to have to tarry with these new church members. We're going to have to tarry with these that are just coming into the faith. And we're going to have to show them how you love your your spouse and how you raise your kids and, and how you read your Bible and how you say grace before you eat. God, I pray today that you would give us such a burden to reach this lost and dying world with a saving gospel. Oh, God, help us to be soul winners. God, help us to be soul winners. Maybe there's somebody here today and God, they've not been involved in this thing of evangelism, but today that's about, to, that, that's about to change. That person that's not been giving out any tracts or gospel literature, today that's gonna change. That person that's not been inviting anybody to the house of the Lord today, that's gonna change. God, I pray that you help us to be evangelists. Help us to be like our Savior. Help us to be soul winners. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just a question or two. How many are here this morning? And you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. If that's you this morning as a testimony to that, you'd slip your hand up. Pastor, I know I'm saved. Hallelujah. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Isn't it great to raise your hand and say that you're saved? Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Let me ask you a second question, though. Come on now. I want you to be honest. This is between you and the Lord. How many of you here this morning would say, Brother Pope, if I died today, I am not sure of heaven. Pastor, I want to go. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure I would go. And I want you to pray for me. If that's you right now, without any hesitation, you just slip your hand up right now and let me pray for you. I see that hand. Who else? Who else? Come on. Come on. It's time to be honest right now. Just slip your hand up. Let me pray for you. Pastor, if I died right now, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm sure that I'm sure. Right now, you'd slip your hand up. Is there another? Anywhere. Come on. Raise it up and sort of wave it at me. Would you do that? So I don't miss you. How many are here this morning say, Pastor, I'm saved. I've already raised my hand about that. But I've got to be a better evangelist. I've got family members that don't know the Lord. Co-workers that don't know Christ. 
I've got neighbors, preacher, that don't know Jesus. Man, I've got to be a better evangelist. Some of you here this morning have kids that don't even know the Lord. Are y'all hearing me? Some of you have children that don't even know Christ. You know what? That ought to eat you alive. That ought to burden your heart so bad that you'd pray and cry until you see those kids come to know the Lord. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a moment when we stand, I'm going to ask you to make your way immediately to this altar. And get down here, man, you pray and say, God, make me the evangelist I ought to be. Make me the soul winner. Lord, help me to win my kids. Help me to win my family. Help me to win my loved ones to Jesus. Let's all stand this morning all over the house. Father, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation. God, those that raise their hands about salvation, God, today, do a work of grace in their life. Help them to come and to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. He is the way. There's not many ways. There's only one. God, there's only one way for our kids to be saved. There's only one way for our mom and dad to be saved. There's only one way for our neighbors to be saved, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, would you burden the hearts of our people, and Lord, would you burden the heart of this pastor, maybe like never before. And God, help us to be soul winners. Have your way in this invitation. Father, do it, please, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We have some folks in the altars this morning called personal workers. They have a Bible in their hand. If you're here this morning and you say, preacher, if I died today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. They're down here in the altar right now. They have a Bible. I want you to come. And we'd like to take from the Bible and show you how you can know that you're going to heaven for sure when you die when you die. Lost loved ones, hey, Calvary, let's get them to Jesus. Let's get them to Christ. Jesus may be coming today. His coming is imminent. That means that we don't know. It could be any moment. Any moment, Jesus may come. Are you ready? Are your loved ones ready? We've got to get them to the Savior. Father, thank you for what you're doing right now. Lord, thank you for those that are in the altars. Thank you for those that are making decisions. Thank you for the names that are being mentioned right now. Thank you for those that are burdened about their lost family members. God, help us to be soul winners. Help us to be evangelists. Lord, help us, help us to preach the gospel to every creature. Father, help us to follow the example of our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for showing us this wonderful, wonderful truth in John chapter 3. I'm glad that Jesus was concerned about me. Lord, I'm glad for the day that I came to the Savior. Have your way, Lord, in the invitation, and we thank you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Anybody else need to make a move?
I think, church, if we got burdened enough to fly to Oregon to win a loved one, we'd see business pick up, wouldn't we? People got burdened enough to start crying their loved one's names out to Jesus. I think we'd see things happen. In just a moment, we're going to sing. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I am saved, but I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I've been sort of away from the things of the Lord. Hey, now's a great time to do that. Would you come while we wait? We've got some folks here that would pray with you. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, just step out right now and come. Pastor, we're not the member of a Bible-believing church. We, we feel it the will of God to join with this local body. If that's, if that's you, we'll be glad to speak with you about that. While we wait, just for a moment, while we wait, you come today.